Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Thanks for the intro, Sandy. How's everyone going? Awesome. We are in week two of our series, Keystone Habits. Um, I don't know why. I don't know if there was something in the air or something in the water, but last week, so many people just kind of were just sharing about how it was really helpful and really great. And that message is available on podcast. We spoke about how we need to do heart work before hard work. Anyone remember that? Yep. And we talked about the need for us as individuals not to just be running around like headless chooks and trying to sort our lives out by working as hard as we can. But really, we need to know what is going on in our heart because our heart gives us messages. Anyone remembers that? And the messages are what motivates us. And so we did a series of questions uh, that was available on our social media. Um, and also we gave some slips out as well last week that you can run through over time reflecting. That's what hard work is about, is reflecting and giving a bit of time to breathe, giving yourself a bit of time to discover what is taking place inside of your heart. The key verse that we used last week was Proverbs 4.23, which says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So if we don't know what is flowing from our heart, just check what you're doing. How busy are you getting? You know, if you don't have any friendships and relationships because you need money, what does that say about your heart? What does that say about your need for that kind of financial security? You know, let's not go into that. I can preach on that again. I love what God is doing in people's hearts. And this week really builds on that message. And um, we are going to be focusing on Matthew 6.33. And it says this this morning, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. His kingdom being Nate's kingdom, by the way. Okay, so some of you guys are awake. And you guys knew that that wasn't right. But seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So last week we had a verse that says, above all else, primarily, as of importance. And this week we have another verse that says, but seek first, as a priority, as an importance. And we're talking about these verses because we want to build habits. We're talking about habits over this last Last week, this week, and next week. Over this series, we're talking about habits. And does anyone remember why we're talking about habits? Sorry, I'm a bit all over the place. I was meant to start with that. <laughs> but we, we look into habits because habits, according to research, forms 45% of all human behavior. And so if you sense that you are stagnating, if you sense that your life is not really going anywhere, it's probably because you have a habit that is holding you back, or a set of habits that are holding you back. If you want to change, change your habits. And we talked about how there are certain habits that has a flow-on effect to other habits that then build on a set of habits that then allow you to live in a different way and according to what God is wanting to do in your life. And so today we're going to talk about this whole idea of seeking first His kingdom. If you want to know what this habit's all about, is the habit of giving your best yes. Giving your best yes. Now, has anyone ever heard of this term, a burning bush moment? I'm not talking about bushfires. I'm 
talking about a burning bush moment. Now, even though, um, even though this is a Christian kind of a, a, a picture, uh, I, I think many people know about Moses and the burning bush. And a burning bush moment, basically, if, if you ask people, is about this moment of amazing clarity, right? That you base the rest of your life on this moment, burning bush. You encounter the burning bush. There is now this clarity, there's this mission, there is this call, there is this purpose that you're living out, and so the rest of your life changes. Now, I heard a preacher uh, and a pastor a little while ago, um, and he was talking to prospective church planters, and Beck and I were in that group, and, and they were talking about, and he was talking about the need for us as church planters to have a burning bush moment. And he went on to share about how church planting is not easy. Church planting is, is throwing yourself out into the unknown world. You know, Beck and I were part of an amazing church. Uh, we, uh, in, in the campus that we're looking after, there was regularly over 100 people coming, and people loved us, and we knew what we were doing, and there was a security in that. But leaving the plant lift, it was like, is anyone going to rock up? Is anyone going to like what we're going to do? Am I going to have more than five messages to preach before I run out? Is God going to give me any new revelation? Is this going to work? We don't know. We still don't know. We're four years in and we still don't know what's going to happen next week. And, and that's the, the, I guess, the problem with stepping out in new adventures is that you just don't know. And so this pastor, who we greatly respect, he talked about how on his journey, there have been moments where he's like, I don't know this is going to work. We started off with a crew of about 38 people, which was amazing. This guy started off planning a church with no one. He wasn't even married at this time. He had no, like, you know, at least I'm married. I'll be like, Beck, we're planning a church and you're coming along. We got a cat, so that's at least three of us. We're going to have a church service and it's going to have something he had no one and he had in these early days these doubts did god really call me but because he had a burning bush moment he said god you're the one that called me and so i have the confidence that it's going to be okay right and so he talked about the importance of having a burning bush moment and i've kind of been thinking about that because i don't think i've got a burning bush moment I don't know if I had that moment of amazing clarity that kind of helped me to see what I was meant to be doing and set me up for the future. I don't know if that was one moment that defined my future. And living in Australia, bushfires are not uncommon. I don't think I've even seen a smoking bush. Literal. Much less a spiritual burning bush. And I think many of us, if you are looking at your life, do you have a burning bush moment? Do you have that kind of clarity? How many of you would feel like if I had a burning bush moment, I would be able to say yes to God? Yeah? If I had that encounter, if I had that moment where the prophet that is known as a prophet would call me out from the middle of the congregation and tell me exactly what God was saying to me, I would be able to say yes to that. And, and I think that sometimes we have this sense that we don't really know what God is saying to us and we're waiting for the burning bush before we say yes. So I want to take you to the original burning bush and uh, take you to the account in Exodus 
where Moses was called by God through the burning bush. As you can see from this little picture, it, or I suppose that, don't try to, yeah, they showed a picture for quite a long time, I'll tell you, Cliff, uh, when to pull up the verse. Um, but Moses met the burning bush. And just to give you a quick recap, many of you might, might have watched Prince of Egypt. I was going to say Prince of Persia, different movie. Um, Prince of Egypt. Or you've seen Exodus, Gods and Kings. I love both movies. They're great. Um, and, and we know that Moses, we know about Moses, but let me just recap for you. Moses was born a Hebrew. And the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt. And in fact, when he was born, there was a decree uh, that was law in the land that every boy born to a Hebrew slave must be killed. Moses was never supposed to live. He was supposed to have been killed at the moment of his birth. But yet he was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter herself. And so he was brought up and then brought into Pharaoh's courts. And he served as one of the princes of Egypt, and that's why we have that movie. And, and he had this power, he had this prestige. And we don't know how, we don't know why, the Bible doesn't tell us. But at some point in his journey, Moses realizes that he is a Hebrew. He isn't one of the Egyptians. Those are not his people. His people are the ones that are slaving away and are being oppressed. And so Moses decides to go visit his people one day. He visits and he sees an Egyptian slave driver mistreating one of his people and he proceeds to kill him. I want to just point this out for a moment because obviously there was something stirring inside of Moses' heart. He wasn't happy to see his people being mistreated. And so he was moved to action. He desired to save his people. That was a passion that was burning on the inside of him. Do you get that? You don't just go around killing people. Now, I, I, I feel for the refugees, but I'm not going to go around killing people that oppress refugees. It must have been a significant drive within Moses, a call maybe. Maybe he sensed that God was setting him apart to do this work. But yet when he killed this Egyptian, it actually kind of pushed him away seemingly from that call. He was found out and he ran away to the desert of Midian for 40 years. We catch up with him 40 years later, having been um, married now, have kids, and he's now a shepherd. He has long given up his status as prince. He's long given up his desire to save his people. He's now Moses the shepherd. And it's there that we catch up with him in Exodus chapter 3. And Moses had taken his sheep out to find some grub or shrubs. I don't know. What do sheep eat? Grass? Yeah, grass. And I'm guessing that because they're in a desert, it's not that easy. And so he treks along with them and he finds uh, a little spot and he sends his sheep out um, and he sits down. And it is then that he notices that in the distance there is a bush that is on fire. Now, I've never been in a desert desert, but I'm guessing it's pretty dry and it's pretty hot. And so I'm guessing that a bush catching on fire isn't that interesting. Gosh, that was really quiet. It was like, what? A dry desert burning bush, what? Yeah, I'm guessing that Moses led his sheep to a place. He sat down 
And I'm guessing he was bored. Because you don't force a sheep to eat. There is nothing for you to do. Once you brought the sheep to the pasture, you let them eat. And so I think he saw in the distance this bush that was burning. And there was no TV. Even if he had Netflix, I don't think there was Wi-Fi in the middle of the Midian Desert. And so that was probably the most interesting thing that he was seeing. And he sees this bush on fire. And the Bible actually says that he noticed that it was burning without being consumed. So I kind of think, how long was he staring at this burning bush for? See, many of us think that when there, is, there was the burning bush, Moses was kind of taking the sheep and then fall onto my face because like that. Like suddenly this bush spontaneously combusted in front of his eyes, causing him to fall on his face. But the Bible account, the biblical account doesn't sound like that at all. It said that he was tending the sheep, he brought them out, and then he noticed that the bush was already on fire and he observed it for an extended period of time, I don't know how long, maybe five minutes, maybe ten minutes, maybe half an hour, maybe half a day, until he realized there's something different about this bush. And then, and only then, he goes and finds this bush. I'm wondering how many of us are waiting for God to speak to us. As though it is going to be spontaneous, as though it is going to be unmistakable. When that bush was in this story for a long time, even though it was only a few verses long. I have a friend, my best friend, and we were young, and we were both desperate for a girlfriend. Because that's what young guys do. We, we just thought that having a girlfriend would solve all of our lives' problems. Now that I'm married, I realize that, no, I'm not going to go. new problems, better problems, like how much we get to spend on clothes. Anyway, and we were young and we were looking for a girlfriend and, and, and he got to a point where he was just sick of getting it wrong. You know how when you're young and you date it and you try to work it out and it didn't work out and heartbreak and it's painful and it sucks and we don't like it and so he got to a point where he said, Nate, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to date until God literally drops a girl on my car while I'm driving. He literally said that. You can call him up if he's listening to this podcast. Please verify. But he literally said, I'm so sick of not knowing. And so I'm going to live my life as though God needs to do something so supernatural. And so now this guy is married to a girl who is in a wheelchair because he ran her over. Completely joking. <laughs> Some people, <gasps> But he literally said, I will not know the call of God on my life in this form until it literally supernaturally happens because I am so sick of not knowing. Now he's married and he did not run her over. She didn't fall from the sky. He actually knew her for a very long time. And so she was always there, but it just didn't happen until... I don't know, it worked out. But what am I trying to say? How many of us are trying to hear from God and expecting it to be something so supernatural and, 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 and out of this world that we cannot deny that it's God? Because when I see Moses coming to his burning bush moment, he did not know it was his burning bush moment. It was his mundane, everyday life. And God sent a little spark in the distance 
and invited him to have this conversation. See, some of us are waiting for God's voice to invade our lives when God is inviting us to a conversation. And some of us are waiting for this invasion when God has already issued an invitation. And so Moses says yes to this invitation, which is fantastic. And he comes to this place and it was only when he drew near. That's another principle right there. When he drew near to the invitation, then God spoke. How many of us are saying yes to the invitation and drawing near? And so when he said yes, he drew near, God began to speak. And what did God say? This is my paraphrase, by the way. There's too much Bible, and I like to have this in my mind. This is my movie playing out, and I'm describing it to you. But he comes, and and God says, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. Uh, Moses does so. and, And God says, I've seen the plight of my people, the Israelites, and I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you to be their savior. Now, remember, Moses had this dream inside of his heart when he was younger. This isn't new news to him. This is a confirmation of something he's always desired. But his response was like, um, no thanks. What, did, what does he actually say? I, I don't, I recorded it somewhere. <laughs> That's not it. But God basically says to Moses, you have been called to do this. And Moses kind of went, you want me to go? Like, seriously, you want me to go? And God says, yes, I want you to go. And I'm going to go with you, which is pretty sweet. God, who appeared in this burning bush, says, I'm going to go with you. And Moses' response to it, this is in my mind how it plays out. He, he says, okay, so you want me to go. Now, hypothetically, I'm not saying yes yet. Hypothetically, if I say yes to this, how will all of those people know that you have called me? Because I might know that you've called me, but they're not going to know that you called me. And so there could be a little bit of a disconnect. How am I going to know this is going to work? That's basically what he says. And so God says, well, I will be with you and they will listen. Now, God's kind of strange because I think he understood that Moses was scared, but his response doesn't really allay Moses' fear. He just says, no, 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 they will believe. And if they don't, I'll teach you a couple of little magic tricks and it'll be okay. Now, that's what I, and so Moses says, no, 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 no. I'm not okay with you saying they will believe. I want those magic tricks. And so God tells Moses to throw down the stick, his staff, his, his shepherd's staff, and he throws it down and it becomes a snake. Moses freaks out, jumps back, and God says, go pick up that snake by its tail. And so Moses does, and it becomes a staff again. Pretty sweet. And then there was a second trick. Now, Moses was actually scared of that snake. It wasn't just an illusion. It was something that he literally went, oh, wow. And then God says, put your hand into your cloak, pull it out, and it was leprous as snow. Skin condition, crazy. He said, do it again, and it was healed. So now Moses knows that God had called him. Moses has had this confirmation that God was calling him and going to go with him. And so what does he say? And this is where we see in Exodus 4 verse 10, Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent 
Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. See, Moses, knowing that God wanted to work, his response was now, I'm not good enough. This is kind of interesting because if you see the middle part of this verse, Moses says, I haven't changed since you spoke to me. And I think many of us do respond to the invitation of God. We draw near. God begins to speak. And somehow we have this expectation that something is going to change on the inside of us in that moment that makes us that little bit more perfect. It makes us that little bit more acceptable for the call that God has placed on us. And Moses, this is the original burning bush moment, guys. He was supposed to say yes. But in this moment, he said, God, you haven't changed me and I'm not good enough. I am slow of speech and tongue and you want me to speak to Pharaoh? And God was like, you know what? I designed and created you. I know how you were formed. It's like me going to God and God says, Nate, you're going to be a pastor. You're going to be a preacher. You're going to be doing all of these things. And I'm like, but God, you made me an introvert. And then God goes, oh, let me just check my records. Oh, I put a little bit too much introversion in you. Sorry, I'll go to the next guy. And leaves me behind because somehow my introversion that God had created me with, he can't work with. Or someone else, God comes to you and he says that you are going to be working in a church. You're going to be doing amazing ministry. You're going to be touching lives. And, and this person goes, but God, like, I don't, I, I'm too insecure. I don't think I got it. And God is like, Yep, insecurity is always going to be an issue. You are right. Dismissed. Why do we argue with God about our design? Why do we argue with God about whether we are good enough? Why do we tell God that He has not created us well enough for the very purposes that He has created us for. Because the Bible tells us that the gifting and the calling of God is irrevocable. And, and, and it says in the Bible that God has created us for good works that He has prepared beforehand, before you were created, for you to accomplish in your lifetime. And so that insecurity, that issue, that whatever it is, when we come to God, why are we complaining that I've got this issue? When God is saying, I know that. I created you. I've seen your beginning and your end. And I'm still coming to you. And I'm still giving you this mission. So why are you saying no? How many of you have had a sense that God is calling you to something more, but there is something in you saying no, because you're scared that you're not good enough. You're scared that it doesn't line up with what you're wanting. It, 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 it triggers Pictures of hurt and disappointment. It, it conjures this image where you're just uncomfortable with this. God just simply said, 
I created you, and you are good enough. And Moses, oh, good grief. <laughs> Exodus 4.13, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. I love it that when we argue with God, if we are wanting to say no, there's no excuses. You're just saying no because you want to say no. You're not saying no because it's a logical thing to do. You're not saying no because it is the best option for you. You're saying no because it's just too uncomfortable. Which leads me to something that I feel it, someone needs to hear this morning. Saying yes to God isn't comfortable. Saying yes to God isn't natural. Saying yes to God isn't about the stars and the planets aligning and you have this, oh, I have been called. I believe many of us have already had burning bush moments. Moments. Where God has been speaking to you and inviting you. But how many of us are saying no? We assume that when we hear God's voice, saying yes is the natural thing. I go to the original burning bush account. Moses said no four times. Four times. Four times. Moses said no to God's face. Let that sink in. Moses, who was later called the friend of God, said no to God's face when he had a supernatural encounter. So how much more am I going to say no to God because I am scared, that I am fearful, and I am uncomfortable, and there are things that I don't want to let go of. Moses has crafted a new life after his disappointment. He has now been a shepherd for 40 years. He has a wife, he has kids, he has a, a livelihood, and he is happy with that. And it's so easy to say no to God when we are happy with where we are at. But God is always calling us to something more. God is always calling us to something deeper. And there's a reason why I'm calling this out this morning is because at the anointing service a few weeks ago, or maybe over the last few years of your life, God has been calling you to something more. And you're expecting the planets to align and for you to go, yes, I know that God has called me. But maybe you are in this place and you're still scared and you're still fearful. You say, I know what happened to that person when he said, yes to you God I'm happy with my nice mediocre settled life where it's easy for me to control and I don't have to fear saying yes to God doesn't have to be easy it doesn't have to be easy in our minds it doesn't even have to be easy in our hearts but it has to be something in us that realizes that the life that we are in, that God is actually calling us to something so much deeper and something so much more. It's easy for you to say no to God. How many people here are already saying no to God? This is one of the things I love about God. Moses said no to him four times. I love that it's more than three times. Because I wonder if God would have a three-strike policy on our lives. Because many of us seem to assume 
that because we miss things in the past, God won't choose us again. Moses, you said no two times already. You got one last shot. I'm calling you. No. Aaron, where are you, Aaron? God persisted with Moses, and God is persisting with you. God doesn't worry about your no as much as he is trying to stir up a yes. And that's all I'm trying to do this morning, that God is trying to show you that there is so much more to your existence, that he's already put dreams and calling, and sometimes that disappointment makes it hard for us to say yes. Forty years in the desert, Moses allowed the disappointment of his past to wash over him. God understood that it was hard for him to say yes. You know, right after Moses says, pardon your servant, send someone else, the Bible records, so God was angry with Moses. But that's not actually the best way of translating what happened. Because the word angry in Exodus 4 verse 14, I believe, is actually a picture of God flaring his nostrils and breathing heavily. I think people go, well, you do that when you're angry, yeah? I think God was just breathing more grace on Moses. Isn't it amazing that when we say no to God, more grace. God's breath is translated ruach, which is the Holy Spirit. Whenever God is angry and he's breathing of us, it's not anger in the sense that we understand it. He's like, more of me on you because you need to see something different. And so I want to ask you whether you are in a habit of giving God your yes. See, as I mentioned, I don't think I had one burning bush moment. I have burning bush moments where I've wrestled with God, where I've said no multiple times. And yet God is still choosing me. And God still breathes on me. But what I've learned is that I need to, number one, if you're taking notes, put myself in a place of hearing from God. In the moment of all that was going on, God called Moses and invited him closer into a space, a physical space where he could speak with him. And I believe that God is calling each and every single one of us to create spaces where he is able to speak. Because there's one thing I realize about my life is that I'm busy. There are things that are going on that it makes it difficult for me to slow down and have a conversation with God. Even married now, it doesn't make it easier for me to communicate with Beg. We still need to make time out to have communication. How much more with God? And I get really worried nowadays. Beck and I were making this observation, and I'm not talking about anyone in this room in particular. It's just the way that our culture is shifting, where church-based programs are the first thing to go in people's lives when things get busy. You do not need to be here to be saved. No. You do not need to be here to be more anointed. No. But this is a space where God speaks. It's a space that should be religiously sought after. Religious being practice, not faith. Religion and faith are completely different things. Religion is the practice of faith. And so I practice my faith by being here because God speaks. When you have a dude that 
spends hours upon hours trying to get God's word in him so that he can preach it out for you to hear. Same with Peck. Same with any preacher that is here at the front. Josh spoke here about three, four weeks ago. I gave him a month and a half notice and he said that's not enough time. I was like, you serious, bro? I see how you study. I thought you'd take two days. I gave you six weeks. He said, no, Nate, this is the pulpit. I was like, I love this guy. But why do we say no to being in places where God speaks when we're busy? Seriously. Moses could have been like, I've got my hundred sheep here. That bush is kind of cool, but I don't need it. How many of us are saying no to the invitation from God? So it's the first thing that I want to point out. Are we creating space? See, Jesus, when he was on earth, he regularly, religiously retreated. It says he retreated into solitary places to pray. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed to create spaces for him to hear God's voice, how much more do I? How much more do you? Why do you think that you don't need this? This is a habit that we need to cultivate. We need to get into those spaces. We need to allow God to speak. We need to do our heart work. Like we mentioned, Moses saw all his insecurities and his disappointments, and God's word was hard for him to say yes to because of those things that were in his heart. But I love that as we do heart work, and as we say yes to what God is saying, we get to participate in what he is doing. So I want to ask you, what kind of habits have you put in place to say yes to God? I'm not about you coming up this morning. We can, we will pray for you, hear God for you, with you. But after this, what happens? If I don't talk about hearing from God for another six months, will you hear from God? Will you? My desire is that you hear from God for yourself sufficiently so that when you're here, it's more of a confirmation and a top-up rather than the bread that you're meant to be living on. See, John 5, 19, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, the Son himself can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Jesus is a model of how we are meant to live. Many of us are actually stepping into more disappointment because we don't know what God is saying. Moses, in his first attempt to be savior of the Israelites, did it in his own strength, resulting in disappointment that chased him into a desert, a dry place for 40 years. But one yes to God unlocked the rest of his life. God is calling us to it. So how do we carve, how do we create these moments for God to speak? I learned something only a couple of months ago. Beck and I served under an amazing senior pastor. His name is Joel Chalaya from Centerpoint Church. We worked there for many years. And yet he had never told me this practice that he did. And I'm holding this against him because I wish I knew this earlier. Pastor Joel is a creative and he always has new ideas, new things. And so I interviewed him for a podcast that I was doing for, um, for the ACC. And 
And I asked him, Pastor Joel, how do you create vision? Because I don't know how you do this. Like, I struggle to know how to, like, get things ready for two months' time. But he's a year in advance knowing what God is wanting to do. And I'm like, how do you do this? And he said, well, Nate, what I do is weekly, here it is, weekly, weekly, he goes for a one or two hour walk, no music, nothing else, just him. And he has his phone to take notes because you take notes, you forget what God says. Um, and he just walks and then in his imagination, he holds up the different areas of his life and he just allows God to speak. And he said, Nate, I will never want to create vision without a download from heaven. How many of you have got a vision for your life? I'm not talking about, I want to finish uni. I want to retire. I want to... No, those things happen. They will happen. I'm talking about that deep sense of God's calling on your life. How many of you got a vision for it? How many of you have this sense that God is calling me to something bigger? Because without the download of heaven, what are you saying yes to? You see, this is the other thing that I've noticed that when I'm not saying yes to God, I'm already saying yes to something else. I'm always saying yes to something. See, I'm not saying yes to veganism, but that doesn't mean that I'm not saying yes to anything else. I'm saying yes to more meat. All power to me. Your no always comes with a yes. Your yes always comes with a no. So you saying no to God means that you're saying yes to something else. You saying no to the call of God often means that you're saying yes to your insecurity. You saying no to God often means saying yes to your old disappointments. You saying no to God means yes to you having all the control and therefore all the responsibility of what happens in your life. And so Pastor Joel helped me to see that he had created a habit of putting himself in a place where he could hear from God and therefore say yes to God. And so I tried it two months in to this habit. Let me tell you, now when it rains and I'm not allowed to go for my walk, my whole week feels weird. It feels like I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I get scared because I'm like, no, 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 I want to hear from God. But the walk has helped me to get the download from heaven. What are you regularly doing to put yourself in a place where you can hear from God and then say yes to God? What are you doing to regularly put yourself away from the distractions and the fullness of life? Because every single one of us have a full life. Every single one of us. But what are you full with? Are you full with things that matter? Or are you full with things that don't? And being in a space where you can hear from God and allow him to speak so that you can say yes. I say this because I want our church to be one that says yes to God. I want us to be a church that is not just full with good ideas and good people. I want us to be a church that hears the download from God, receives the download from God, and lives it out because that's when miracles happen. That's when transformation happens. That's when things begin to shift. If you're feeling stagnant in your life, 
Have you got a download from heaven? And even if you're satisfied with life as Moses has been, are you satisfied because it's true satisfaction? Or are you satisfied because you're just scared of everything else? If we can get the band up this morning, the first thing I want to do from this point on this morning is to invite people to say yes to Jesus being your Lord and Savior. See, I love the songs that we sang this morning. All of them were not about how amazing I am, but it's really about how amazing God's grace is. And because of that amazing grace, I can enter into God's presence. I can receive a download from heaven for my life. That's what that's all about. Our relationship with God is not about how much we've achieved or how much we've done. It really is about how much He's achieved and how much He's done. It's about the fact that He went to the cross, died for your sins so that you are no longer responsible for your past. He's already covered it. Instead, He's inviting you to a future filled with hope. A future filled with hope. And if you're in a place where you're trying to work things out and you're running dry and you're running out of hope, Maybe you need a savior like Jesus. Maybe you need a savior who's going to be there for you all the time. The Bible says that he's closer than a brother. That he's right with us. So this morning, I'm going to lead everyone into a prayer. And everyone, anyone can say this to invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Wash away my sin. Make me clean. Make me whole. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.